Oh, man. All right. So, well, I want you guys to go with me to the scripture we were reading before we did some uh, Thanksgiving type stuff. And that was in 1 Timothy. And we were on chapter 2. We never got out of chapter 2. We're doing this series called Letters. And um, I think you're going to get something out of this tonight. This will be one of the most controversial messages that I have ever preached to you guys. And, um, yeah, th- I'm finally giving this message. You guys have been waiting for it for a minute. Let's do this. So, um, I'm going to go down and verse 8. I just, actually, for context, let's go to verse 7. Now, does everybody know that the verses and the chapters that we read in the Bible are put there by man? Okay, so when Paul was writing, he didn't stop to put them in. When Moses was writing the Pentateuch and all throughout, we, we simply inserted those in order to all have a, an understanding of what we're looking for. It's for context and location, right? But you have to, I don't know why you're looking at me. Just kidding. <laughs> the, but she gave me this look like, I don't know. It's like she was doing something wrong. She's fine. Uh, for this, I was appointed a preacher. Okay, so let's just go to verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. So I'm going to go back here. What is the first words that you read in verse 8? I desire. Who is that? Is that God speaking or is it Paul speaking? I really believe that this is one place where Paul is placing uh, his own opinion. Uh, And I believe that his, just like he says, there's another place in the scripture where he says, I should that, that all would not marry, right? If you read that, and he's not saying don't get married, but he's saying your life is going to be easier if you don't have, and you'll have more to devote to your focus or your purpose if you don't get married. However, he follows that up quickly and he says something like, but for those that are burning with passion, they should marry. <laughs> they should marry. And I'm one of those people that was burning with passion and I married and I'm glad I did. And um, yeah, I'm just saying. But Paul occasionally, he, he'll, he makes like what I believe is godly inspired writing. All of it's godly inspired. But there's, there's this, all of a sudden he, I believe, this is my opinion. So I, I, I ask you to study the word out for yourself. Sometimes two different people can read the same passage and they can come away with different interpretations of what they're reading. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not so proud as to believe that my interpretation of this particular passage is necessarily completely 100% right, okay? And, and when I say that, I'm, I'm suggesting I've done a lot of studying, but I don't know everything. And in several years, I want to give myself room to even be able to change my mind if, somebody, if I see something that I didn't see before. Sometimes I, we as people, we, really, we, we don't necessarily change our beliefs. Some of us do, but sometimes we get more information than we had last time. And, 
and that more information gives us a better perspective and we, we are uh, with the new perspective we're like ah oh, I wasn't completely right so with that I wanted to know that as of this point in my life I believe that Paul is making his this desire his own personal desire and opinion I desire then that in every place that men should pray lifting up holy hands without anger quarreling does that that seem bad to you I don't think so I think it's great Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, also great, with modesty and self-control. And then he goes on and he says something really specific, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness. That, I believe, is one place where his opinion really shines in, that, in this passage. Um, I don't think it's a sin to wear braided hair. I don't think it's a sin to have gold. I don't think it's a sin to wear all pearls or costly attire, but what it what do you think is wrong if you wear if you believe if you're wearing costly attire, what what could be wrong about it? What what could make it go wrong? Yeah, if you're drawing too much attention to yourself, uh, maybe you're doing it for approval. You're you're yeah. Do you think that some do you think that some people just wear uh, certain things with a name with a name brand on it? Yeah. And what is it what is it that they're hoping to do with that name brand? What's that? Um, feel accepted, I think, more than anything. Yeah. It's it's and status is really value, right? So when people are wearing certain logos, it's not wrong to have a logo. But if you're doing it with the agenda that, or, or the misappropriation that that, that that brand gives you value, then you forget who your value comes from. And if you put more, there's certain people that you'll see in certain movies, they're wearing like, this is a Hugo Bose suit. And the, the waiter or the waitress spilled something on it. And, or maybe it's like a super nice dress. And what happens in the movie? Do you, this... This dress costs more than your entire salary in three months. You know, like, this, is, this, is, this costs more than you make in a year. You know what I mean? So, so in that instance, I just dropped everything that was in my lap doing that. But in that instance, they're basically saying that their clothes are more valuable than who? Than the life of the person that's serving them. And they're, they're, they're saying, they're making a statement. So if we forget our priorities, I, I really think that's the, at the heart of the issue here. Our clothes don't give us value, God does. And we need to keep our values where they belong, and that's with people. And it's not, it's not wrong to have nice things. I believe that God's called us uh, to be able to minister to every demographic. And there are certain people that they wouldn't be able to minister to billionaires unless... They were wearing something that that actually spoke to them. There, are, and and I can tell you that I've felt out of place certain times. I've got off work here, came from a funeral or something, wearing a suit, and went downtown. And Billy was like, "What are you doing wearing that here?" Because it didn't connect with the people that we were reaching. He was right, right. So so there are some there are certain places where apparel can be construed for uh, different things. But with that. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I like that he adds that. Because godliness is a reflection of your habits. I mean, 
God, righteousness is something that God gives us, but if you say that's a godly person, right? You're saying that they're like God. And if they're like God, that means that there's not a lot of sin in their life. That they, that they are more like God than they are like somebody else, <laughs> the, the devil, right? And, and so I, I think it's really important because I think a lot of times we see people and there's a form of godliness, but in their lives they're still not contributing good works or their focus is in the wrong place. Um, and, and I don't believe that our works, they earn our salvation. However, after we get saved, there is a, I think I'm going to talk about this more later and I'm not going to break it down right now, but, but there is a reward system in heaven that is, that is given to people that do things for others. So yes, your actions can't get you into heaven, but once you've, once you've been promised heaven, once you get in, how set, how set up are you going to be? Because your, your works um, in this world and some, some things come from the inheritance of your family um, and other things as well. I'm going to go with, I'm going to keep going since I'm going to break that down later. So if you didn't get all of that, it's okay. I just whetted your interest and we'll talk about it later. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. What, is, what do you think that means? It sounds, it sounds like something you shouldn't read in today's um, equality-driven culture. Mm-hmm. As in, like, don't just blurt out something. Like, go to, like, the... Go to someone, and then you can go to the pastor if you have something to say. Like, there's respect in that. Amen. Yeah, and, and one, of the, one of the understandings of the culture at that time was that the men were sitting on... This was more in Corinth than it was where Timothy is located in Ephesus. But... The, in Corinth, there was the men on the one side and the women were sitting on the other side. And I want you to understand this about the culture of this time. Women were not educated. So for Paul to suggest, let a woman learn, he was saying something that was different from everything that they were taught. He was saying women are deserving and capable and intelligent of education. When we read it, it seems in our culture, in our time, it seems patronizing. But in their culture, women weren't given, the, given access to education. They weren't given the freedom to learn. So he was saying, let a woman learn. So this, this was a culture-shifting phenomena. This was something that he was saying. He's saying women are capable, right? We don't understand that from our culture but if you understand where they're coming from. And he said, learn quietly. And the reason that he says learn quietly is because as the women were learning, and they, they didn't have all the information that they needed yet, they were talking to each other. And when you begin the chapter, or you begin this particular book, Paul doesn't even open in the same way that he does in a normal epistle. Normally, he's writing a letter, and he begins with thanksgiving. And, and if you'll read like Ephesians, Galatians, Corinthians, Colossians, those, those are, are, are books that he writes to a church at a general area. But this is considered a pastoral epistle because Paul's not writing to a church at Ephesus like he would be in Ephesians. He's writing to who? Timothy. Timothy. Thank you. 
and he's letting Timothy know something specific. And when he starts out, he immediately begins to address false teaching that's happening in the church. And one of the reasons they believe that there, he is attributing by saying this, I believe you can read in between the lines, is that some of the women were learning and they were getting things out of context. They were learning out of context and they were beginning to teach each other without having the full understanding and they were getting it wrong. And so he's saying, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And that submissiveness is, is, the, is a submission of a, of a student that's learning from a teacher. And, and you know that you teach, students can give a teacher a really hard time at, at certain times. So you, you gotta, they've got to sit there without an opinion yet and really take it in. And that's, what he, that's one of the things that was pointed out as I was reading. And he says this in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. I'm going to come back to this with the Greek here in a second. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, in love, and holiness with self-control. We're like, whoa. Now, a lot of women in America's culture today would be really offended by Paul, right? If Paul was to get up and preach that in a normal church in America... I mean, imagine him standing up. Uh, Joel's not going to be with us today. Paul's going to preach that over there uh, in Houston. How do you guys think that would go? One, because I think we wouldn't understand. We, we wouldn't have the relationship uh, with Paul to understand where he's coming from. And two, because I think people are taking things out of context. And, and three, because... Um, I'll explain here in just a minute, even in, in more detail. But um, this word that she says, if you go back to let a woman with all submissives, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. What is he saying? If she's not learned, if she's not educated, she can't teach somebody else. She hasn't learned herself. And, and what, I don't believe he's saying that, that she can't teach at all. Because we have other passages that I'm going to reflect on in a minute where a woman taught him. I'm going to, I'm going to show you that Priscilla and, Aquila, and Aquila, they came together. This was a couple, and he learned from them, and the Bible says more accurately. Uh, but he's talking about people that didn't get an education. and there He says, also, exercise authority over. The word authority is the word um, authentis which it literally means uh, it's the only place in the scripture that this one word is found in the New Testament. And its meaning or the connotation is somewhat unclear. But other Greek words that were more typically used to indicate having authority over were such as exousia. Exousia, which means like to have authority in a positive way. So it's likely that authentis has a different connotation than merely having authority. In other early Greek sources, the word is often associated with violence. So it's a dominating authority and not a gentle, uh, maybe considered parental or loving authority. This is, this is, it's taking something, it's usurping authority, 
it's beating down, it's dominating. And according to lexic lexicographers, authenticity is synonymous with to, not, to dominate someone. But most likely prohibiting women from teaching men in that manner is domineering. So he goes on. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. A lot of people, some people believe that he's saying that the problem was that women were dominating man. But I don't believe that's what he was necessarily saying. What happened when Eve learned something from the wrong source? What did she learn from the snake? What did the snake say? Right. But that's not exactly what she, he said to her. He said, you've been told, what have you learned? And she says, if I touch the fruit that is forbidden, then I will be like God. So it was a problem was an incorrect understanding. Of the, so he's saying that there was false learning, faulty learning, more than he was saying even just the domination, that there was a dominating effect. In fact, let's go there. Let's go there in your, in your Bible. I want you to, if you don't mind. Um, I believe it's Genesis 3. I'm not positive. Okay. So, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Oh, my phone just died. <laughs> I hate that. Thanks, bro. Um, I'm going to change your translation. Thanks. We'll go to... <laughs> Just so you know, NLT is a great version. It's a paraphrased version. It's really easy to understand. It's great for reading through, but it's not a study Bible. Um, he just had it. NLT is a great version, though, to read and get the, the big idea, the big takeaway. But it says, the, the serpent, I'm reading ESV. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree. He starts questioning. Immediately he starts questioning. He said, did he really say that? And, we may, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, does God actually say you can't touch it? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you can, you have, you, you, he said if you eat it, you'll die. But he never said anything about touching it. So she goes a step further and she, she has a, a misunderstanding so that when she touches it and nothing happens to her, she goes, oh, I'm fine. See, God was wrong. He was hiding something from me. The misunderstanding was there and she believed in the deception of the, of, of the snake. But the servant said to the woman, you will naturally die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit but, and ate. So, but the first thing she did was took of its fruit. And she had misunderstood that she said, and touch it. Well, God didn't say that. And, but she touched it, thought it was okay, ate it, and then she gave it to her husband. All right, so um, I am going to use this for just a second. Sorry. Thank you. So 
Uh, if we go to the next verse, somebody read that for me back in Timothy, First Timothy. Anybody got it? First Timothy chapter two, and it's talking about the end. Well, he goes on. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna do this like this. My I got locked out of my office, and I couldn't get my Bible because my JC has my key, and she's home with the baby because the baby was sick. The last two verses. Yeah, 14, 15. It says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So basically, it wasn't so much, in my opinion, that a woman assumed authority over a man, which he's saying any dominating is wrong of a man, because God clearly, he does set up man as the head of the household. And not that the man even does dominate the woman either. But the man is, is given certain muscle tone and certain physical attributes that make him the protector of the home. And he, a woman is a, is a more gentle being. And in today's world, we're, we're constantly fighting for equality. But if we fight for equality as men and women, we're not recognized our, our beautiful differences. We're not, we're not equal in the sense that we are different. And, you know, some, some things that we lose without chivalry is, is a man that will recognize a woman's tenderness and appreciate that and open the door for her. And, and I think sometimes that, that feminism in, in, in improper use, it actually it considers masculinity toxic and it degrades a man's right to be masculine, right? And God wants men to feel free to be men, just like he wants women to feel free to be women. And we've got a culture that doesn't understand the identity of what God's trying to do in us. And so, again, a woman assumed authority over man. It wasn't so much that as it was that false teaching led to transgression. And then there's a strange verse that women will be saved through childbirth, which makes more sense in light of the context of Artemis worship, which was happening there. The Artemis cult was popular in Ephesus at that time. Artemis was a fertility goddess and protector of women. And Paul is claiming that women do not need to look up to Artemis to protect them through childbirth, but to Christ. Okay, so we got that. That's one of the things he's saying. That so it's, it's a unique thing that's happening. Um, women do not assume superiority over men or promote false teaching. But I'm reading this because it is somewhat controversial but it's important for us to understand it. So I'm going to go to another passage. I want you to read so you have the full context of this. Uh, Acts 18, chapter 20, or verse 26. If you can go with me there. I'm not trusting my phone anymore. So... It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So, Paul himself was educated by a woman. Now, it seems out of context for him to say women can't educate, right? When he himself learned from a couple. And he didn't, it, he didn't say just Aquila, he said, he says, what did, who does he say first? Who does he mention first? Priscilla. So she, it, it might even be inferred that she had a greater role 
and educating them than her husband did in that place. And if you go on, we'll go to, um, I want you to go to 1 Timothy um, chapter 1. Oh, you don't even have to go there. I'm just going to tell you about it. It talks about Timothy receiving, in verse 5, we mentioned before, that he received an impartation or the gift of faith that came through his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, and that, they, that it was because of their faith he received an inheritance of faith, right? And that's, if he's recognizing that, he's saying, your mom and your grandmother were women who taught you something and invested in you, and you received an inheritance. So it's out of, if, if, I look at, if I don't look at it in the context of the whole scriptures, I can think what he's saying is women need to be quiet. No, but he's saying women need to learn quietly in the sense that these women were uneducated. They, were, they had no understanding. There was this strong influence of, of uh, confusion and heresy and false teaching, and that was impacting the church at Ephesus. And he's saying we need to learn everything before we begin to share something that's, that's faulty. And even in China today, where they don't have all the scripture, one guy fell into a, a well and he was upside down. So he prayed, God, if you get me out of this thing, if you get me out of this well, I will serve you with the rest of my life, Jesus. And he gave his heart to Jesus. If, you know, it, basically, it was an ultimatum if somebody got him out. So somebody did find him, and he pulls him out of the well. And um, this gentleman has this whole like subtle cult in the church in China, and he's teaching them that they have to pray, and the most effective way to pray is on their head because he was upside down in the well when he fell, and that's when God answered his prayer. And because, it, it, yeah, right? So he doesn't, he didn't have the full scriptures, in, and they, because it's illegal, right? So there's a lot of misunderstanding with the scripture because they, they don't have the full context. Um, what's that? Yeah, I mean, think about that, yeah. I hope they don't try to drink while they're up. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be really rough, right? So go, go to uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 19. What's it say there? Greet Prissa. So now she's got a nickname. Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. So that was, I mean, he doesn't just mention her once. He mentions her actually in Romans as well, that this woman had a profound influence and an impact on his life. And it meant a lot. And there is uh, another passage, if you go to, um, we talked about Lois and Eunice. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romanos. Yeah, and verse 7. So, yeah, actually go to 6 first. He's talking about all the people that he's really well connected with and have influence in the church. In verse 6, he says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Mary was not a man's name. <laughs> Just going to be honest. Somebody... Mary, who's worked hard for you, 
and greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They were well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Some people believe that you can even interpret that to mean they were well known as apostles. And this is, uh, these are, one of, Junia is a, is a woman. And so there's a strong claim in certain, in certain theological circles that, um, that he recognizes her as an apostle. I'm not sure that that's completely true. There is a strong claim of that, so I'm letting you know. But clearly, women were influential in the church. And um, there's another passage, if I have just a little bit of time, I wanna, I'm going to go there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. All right, and we're going to go to verse 23. All right, what is it saying? Anybody want to read that for me? Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad and not see it? National American Standard Bible version. Okay. Um, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. If I go to verse 22, um, there's it's, it actually is saying, Thus, tongues are not assigned for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is assigned for unbelievers, but for believers. Therefore, the whole church comes. He's saying, I don't want everybody just to speak in tongues all over each other. He's, he's actually instructing them uh, to be silent instead of doing that. And then he goes on, verse 26, he says, um, actually, go all the way down to verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The word all there includes women, okay? And men and women. All, he's not making, there's no specific group of men that can prophesy and women can't. So throughout the whole passage, he's saying all can speak in tongues, all can prophesy, so that all may learn, all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are studied as prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the church. So the word silent there is the same word he uses three different times in this passage. It's not so much that he is uh, prohibiting them from speaking. It's, it says, silent in the church, they're commanded to be under obedience, as the law also says, if they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. So again, there are men are, according to one interpretation, men are on one side, women are on the other, and the women are shouting across the, the place where they're gathered at their husband saying, what does that mean? All right? <laughs> or, what did he just say? Or they're not used to be, at, at that time, because women were not educated in that culture, the place where they were generally gathering was at home, right? Or in a, or in a place where they were eating and it was totally acceptable for them to have a conversation while somebody else was somebody else was talking somewhere else. So they don't they don't understand the dynamics of a culture of education where you listen and you wait 
there. So some of them, either they started talking amongst themselves there, or they were calling across to their husband, and he's saying, this is just not a good way to, to be able to teach the scripture. And so he encourages them to keep silent. But um, that's not, that doesn't mean ever. It just means there. Um, and the word, I want to read, where is, where's my notes at? Um, in no way does Paul imply that all does not mean both men and women in these verses. If it had wanted to exclude women, he could have done so by using gender-specific language, but he doesn't because in verse 21 in the King, King James Version, it has Paul saying that in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to these people. Men, however, is not in the Greek, but was added by the translators. The NRSV got it right by translating the Greek phrases as by the by people of strange tongues, right? So it wasn't just men that was translated incorrectly. In a similar way, verse 27, the King James Version has Paul saying, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, again, the King James Version later, translators have taken a lot of freedom for the Greek word translated man is tis and actually means anyone. In this whole discussion about prophecy and tongues in the church, Paul is obviously careful not to exclude anyone from participating because of their gender. I believe that a lot of people choose the King James Version today and are sold out to it uh, that don't know is because they're perpetuating this idea of chauvinism in the church. So we must remember, too, that Paul did not write in chapters and verses. These divisions were not introduced in the Scripture until the 14th century. This means that we cannot arbitrarily lift the passage from its context, which is the discussion about spiritual gifts, where he uses gender-inclusive language indicating his assumption that both men and women function in these gifts in the church, in, in the gathering. Um, some people even believe, I don't believe this, but some people even believe that Paul did not write these verses, that it's a copy, and you guys know there was no printers at that time, right? So you couldn't just go to a copier and, and copy something. Scribes would translate. They would write down what the words were. Right, and he there's some there's some people that believe that somebody added these words and they found their way into the texts, um, which is a guy named Gordon Fee. Um, I'm trying to find a specific word, the word silent, and I um, I'm really struggling to find it right now in my notes. But the point is that he says it three different times if you look it up in the right translation the word is in the greek three different times and he's talking about the appropriate times to to be quiet instead of use the gifts and it's not he's not saying women should not have influence in the church shouldn't teach and according to context um i do but but just to close this out tonight god uses men and he uses women and i want to say in our culture it's important to emphasize that we are different we're different. We have a different set of emotions and uh, that we deal with. Generally, women are, are generally women are, are prone to cry more when they're upset. Men, we like to hide our hurt with anger. We we do. I mean, we 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 respond in anger first, but really, when you get down to the bottom of it, we're just hurt. Um, and women are hurt; they cry generally. Men are. Yeah, right? <laughs> men, we're, 
we're generally people that can walk away from something, you know, it happened, whatever, we're still friends. Women, you step on one light, all the lights are broke, okay? That whole string of lights does not work, okay? And you, you think, you come back home after a day's work, and you say, hey, your, your wife, like, nothing happened, because that was earlier, and I know, she's been thinking about it all day. You forgot it happened. Guys, guys are, guys are different. Guys can even, guys, you can break us in one area and we'll be nice to you in another, you know, like we can part, we can kind of keep it together, but women, no. Women have a way, it's because their, their brains are like spaghetti in a sense. Everything touches, all, every, no, I mean like, like they can think about, they can think about. So listen to this, listen to this, women, women can take care of a baby, answer the phone and cook dinner all at the same time. I mean, like, guys cannot walk and chew gum, you know what I mean? Hey, I'm just being, I'm kind of being silly, but women are able to multitask in a capacity that men, when you even study the brain, the, the, a man's brain is not capable of. Like, it is, it is incredible. <laughs> no, it means that we're... Means that we're made, we're made to handle differently. We we handle situations, and, and guys generally are are better suited for uh, logical places. Women are are capable of understanding emotions, and um, they they understand they deal with gently with other people and nurturing. And guys are like, this is how it is, and maybe we miss the bigger picture at times because uh, we can be so cut and dry. But it helps. But both of those is a balance. You don't want to be too emotional. You don't want to be all logic. I mean, you got to, it comes in the middle and it, it makes something, it's beautiful. Um, a relationship that's wonderful. But in this world, we're all are created equal. I don't believe we're all created equal in that sense. And we're all created to have equal rights. I think everybody should be entitled to have equal rights. The 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 pursuit of happiness, the, the freedom to explore your your purpose and your potential but we don't all we're not all born the same in, in that sense that's what i'm saying yes we're all we all should have the same ability to move upward and to attain to run after our dreams and to pursue our purposes and passions that's that's the what we're all we're all made to be respected and and valued we're all worthy of god we're all we all have god's image we're we're all equally valuable but we're not all the same. That's what, um, anyways, I just, and I just want to encourage us, while we are respecting men, or women, also respect men. I feel like, any guys in here feel beat up in today's culture? Like, and it's not that, uh, there's women that have been really been wronged, and so I don't want to say that, I don't want to get too far off, but I feel like guys are, are, don't feel like they can be manly. Yeah, that the guys don't feel like that that they could just be masculine at times. And and I want to encourage us to be who God's called us to be. And that doesn't mean be rude or dominating or aggressive in in, in every sense of the word. But it does mean that guys are are called. I believe that guys are called to lead and lead in a way that values women and loves them and talking about in a in a marital relationship here that we're called to to protect provide in that way consider others any ladies in this place agree with that
Nah. I think women really want a guy that will, like most women want a man that will lead too. I think one verse that really stands out to me is that men aren't the head as Christ is the head of the church. Yeah. And for me, that's that that's the completion of it. Like I have fulfillment knowing I'm the head of the house, but Sarah, when Sarah plays her role right, it it makes wholeness for me as well. So it's not just about me being head; it's about her playing her role as a supportive wife and an intercessor and an encourager. And that's also a light to shine to the world that we're different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It takes a team, man. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, yeah, and it doesn't mean, like, the guy that's, we joke around about, like, get in that kitchen, make me a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but that, if there's a, if there's a guy that's really like that, and he's, it, that's what he's expecting, he's, you know, it's one thing to, to ask your wife for help and to, you, here's what I want to say to young people that haven't got married that are in here. Really talk to the person about what roles you're expecting in marriage because there's a lot of different ways to do marriage and gender roles are not as distinguishable as they used to be. And, and the relationship that you expecting based on what you've seen in your parents is going to be different from how your relationship is and we go in with what we call subconscious roles and expecting unconscious rules that we don't really talk about. We just think it's going to look just like what we think in our head. But the person we're marrying or that you're dating will see it differently. And if you don't discuss what things look like, even down to the chores that happen at home, you might be going into some, something with someone who has a totally different expectation and then you have marital problem because you have two sets of expectations. And really, expectations are really important to talk about before you get married. And um, so for JC and I, this isn't the right way. It's just our way is that I said, honey, if you take care of the laundry and you take care of cooking, then I'll do the dishes because you cooked and I'll you know, take care of the baby. I'm working. And some people can say, well, you don't do anything. You're not helping. Well, you're not, you're not taking care of the baby. I'm taking care of the baby every day when I go to work and I put, and I bring, you know, keep the, the lights on, keep the heat on, and make sure that, that uh, we are, have water, running water. Um, and, and somebody could say, she doesn't do anything, right? And, and the person that says she's not doing anything is crazy too because she's doing all this stuff at home, taking care of them, nursing you know, it's a full-time job, what she's doing, babysitting, caretaking, cooking, cleaning, you know, you start adding those up, that's a lot. So it's just important to know what you want in a relationship, in a marriage, and to really settle those things before you, before you commit and you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, this toilet hasn't been cleaned in seven weeks. Is that, is that your job or my job? What's that? <laughs> All these, all these things haven't been hung up. Am I supposed to hang them up, or are you supposed to hang them up? Like that's, that's the kind of thing. Um, but, but I believe that, but that God is both has both feminine characteristics and masculine characteristics, and that He invested all of those characteristics into Adam, until He took out from His side Eve, and then. The characteristics of God were placed inside of a man, inside of a woman, 
and that the reason why intimacy is so is such a draw to us is because it's the one place where God's both of God's characteristics, his feminine properties, his male properties are complete. And they're showing all of all of the attributes of God. So um, I want to pray really fast, and I hope you got something out of this tonight. Um, it's a teaching thing. I'm not preaching, but I hope you got something good out of this. 